Well, today uh, we're going to finish our series that we've been working on for the past six weeks. And this series is called Follow. And if this is your first time at Canyon Hills and you're checking out our church, uh, you're kind of coming in at the tail end of the movie. But if you're coming at the tail end, I believe the message will still uh, speak to your heart. But I'd encourage you to go listen on our website, www.canyonhillsfriends.org. And it's on both sides of your worship flyer. Uh, just to go listen to the other messages online. Because uh, I believe this series have impacted many of our lives. And uh, I would like to see you do that. And maybe even some of you that you've had God speak to you during this series. Why don't you go online and, and use the messages again and listen to them again as a devotional. And maybe it's part of your devotional time. Say, God, I don't want to miss this. You spoke to my heart. I want to get this deep into my life. And so go back online and, and listen when you can. I think it'll, it'll just uh, deepen your life in Christ. Now, we're going to end this series this morning with what I'm calling a huge question. An extremely extraordinary, important kind of question. And the younger that you are, I think the more important this question really is. Because every person who decides at some point in their life to follow Jesus, at some point in their life along the way, in their journey with Christ, they're going to be tempted to hit what I'm going to call this morning the unfollow button. Things are going to get so hard that they're going to, going to hit the unfollow button. They've been following Christ, but now they're going to decide to unfollow him. And before you unfollow Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question that we're going to talk about this morning. And the question that we're going to look at today comes from a conversation that Jesus was having with his closest men, the 12 disciples. This story comes from John chapter 6. And go ahead and open your Bible up there or find it on your iPad. And we're going to talk it through this whole, this whole chapter 6 this morning. And here's what's happening just before the question really rocked the disciples' world. And I mean it rocked their world. Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000 people. He had just taken two fish, five loaves, and somehow miraculously as God multiplied it, and he fed 5,000 people. Now, 5,000 people had just seen Jesus do this miracle. They had just participated in a miracle that not only blew their minds, but fed their stomachs. <laughs> blew their minds, but fed their bodies. And they're saying, man, we want this guy to be king. This guy is, is awesome. He not only teaches good, but man, he feeds us good. And this crowd is going crazy over Jesus, and they want to make him king. And of course, his closest followers, the 12 disciples, they want to make him king too. Because if you're hanging out with the guy who gets to become king, your life changes. You know him well. You've been following him. And that makes you a pretty important person in his kingdom. But Jesus, instead of allowing people to make him king... What's he do? He hops on a boat and he goes across the Sea of Galilee. And he stops at this little town called Capernaum. And that's where the story is taking place. Now, some of these people who had just participated in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, they also head across the sea. And they hear that Jesus is now teaching in the synagogue. 
And they began crowding into the synagogue. Now, not all 5,000, but I mean, this synagogue was standing room only. Kind of like the Thanksgiving dinner is going to be tonight in here. Standing room only. Everybody packed in. And they're listening to Jesus teach. And then suddenly, some who had just been with him in this awesome miracle of feeding the 5,000, they begin to prod Jesus. They begin to say things like, hey, Jesus, do it again. In other words, they just came across the whole Sea of Galilee. They're hungry again. <laughs> hey, Jesus, do that thing you did over there. Do it again. Jesus, do another miracle. And so they begin to heckle Jesus and try to get him to do another miracle. And you know, that's what fans usually do. Fans love an encore. Amen. <laughs> When you're following a music group or you're following somebody else and, and they love what you're doing, they want an encore. And that's exactly what these fans of Jesus wanted. But Jesus now recognizes that these are some of the people that came from the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus decides to use this moment as a teaching moment. And just like he had fed them literal bread, he decides now to use bread as an analogy, saying, hey, I just fed you literally bread. But now you're already hungry again. But did you know that God will provide something for your soul that will fill you up forever? And so Jesus began to compare himself to a bread that fills our souls forever. That's where we pick up the story. John chapter 6. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And I can just imagine, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I can just imagine somebody saying, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, we know your daddy, Joseph. We know your mama, Mary. You didn't come from heaven. You're born just like the rest of us. And all of a sudden, for the first time, there's a little tension in the, in the crowd. There'd never been tension between Jesus and the crowd before. But now there's a little tension. And, and I can imagine somebody saying, we've heard some strange stories about your birth. And, and, and we know that your parents, and, and we know you didn't come from heaven. You were just born like the rest of us. And the tension just kind of continued to grow. But what's Jesus do? He just goes on teaching. And yet, from that moment on, his teaching just gets weirder and weirder and stranger. Take a look at what he says. He says, whoever eats my flesh, whoever drinks my blood, at which point parents are beginning to usher the children out of the room. <laughs> what? He's talking about eating his flesh? And drinking his blood. Now, not as close as followers that we call the disciples, but, but the crowd, the fans start, what's he talking about? But he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now, we know today from reading the New Testament, he's talking about Himself, he's the word. He's the living word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Jesus is the word of God. He says, and whoever eats my word, whoever ingests my word, whoever drinks in my, my living written word, they're going to have eternal life. 
And so we know that today. But some of the people there were scratching their heads. And then Jesus just goes on and on and on about this flesh and blood thing. And it gets stranger and stranger. And he's saying things, same things like this. Just like there's real food, I am real food. food. And he's talking about food for the soul. But this crowd starts to mumble and grumble. They're thinking like, Jesus, are you talking about cannibalism? You're talking about us eating your flesh, and if we do, we'll have eternal life? And meanwhile, his closest followers, the 12, they're sitting there, and they're, they're watching this, and they're, they're thinking, okay, Jesus, don't lose the crowd. <laughs> Jesus, they're about to proclaim you king. We're about a week away of you becoming king of the Jews. So, so Jesus, don't lose the crowd. You know they want to proclaim you as, as king. So, so don't mess this up. Don't lose the crowd. But then John, the writer of this book, goes on. He says, on hearing it, this strange teaching he's talking about, many of his disciples said, and not as close as followers, but more like his fans, the larger crowd, they're, they're saying, we think you'd make a great king, but this is a strange, strange teaching. They said this. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. I mean, who can, it, who can get their head around this? Who can accept this? Who can, who can go along with eating your flesh and drinking your blood? And so the crowd is starting to leave Jesus. They're, they're starting to step back out of the sanctuary, out of the synagogue. And the closest followers recognize it. And so this is probably the point where the 12 disciples wanted to do to Jesus what Jesus did to Peter last week. Remember what we talked about how Jesus pulled Peter aside and rebuked him? So I think about now the disciples, the 12, were saying, hey, let's get Jesus off to the side. And I think they were thinking, hey, let's pull Jesus off to the side. So they do, and they say, Jesus, come on. Crowd, just a minute, just a minute. Jesus, come on. Stop this talking about this flesh and blood and, and drink and all this stuff. Jesus, don't lose the crowd. And can you imagine the disciples kind of putting their hands on his shoulders? Jesus, we've been around you a long time. We've never heard you talk like this. So stop talking about this. Do anything, but don't talk about the flesh and the blood. And Jesus, let's stop this strange teaching because you're going to lose the crowd. And I can just imagine the disciples. Now, the Bible says nothing about this little side thing I'm telling you right now. But can you imagine the disciples saying, Jesus, you've got lots of good stories. Tell them the story about the prodigal son and, the, and coming home and the father loving him. And tell them something positive, Jesus. Tell them about blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the cheesemakers and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus, tell them something like that, but, but leave this other stuff alone. Because Jesus, if you lose the crowd, behind the crowd are the Pharisees. And you know those Pharisees, they're gunning for you. They want to take you out. So Jesus, if we lose the crowd that wants to make you king, and if you take away the buffer, those Pharisees, they're going to take you out. They're going to take you down. So Jesus, let's go back in there. And let's get the crowd back. Can you imagine the disciples just kind of thinking about that? Thinking like that? Now, the 12 disciples didn't do anything like that, but I think that's what I would have been thinking. I think that's what I, you would have been thinking. Jesus, you're messing up. But Jesus keeps on going on for several more verses. But then look what happens. The Bible says, aware that his disciples, talking about his fans, not the 12, 
were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Is this thing I'm talking about, me being real food, is this too heavy for you? Does this make you want to wander off? Is this too much? And then John writes here in the sixth chapter, from this time, many of his disciples, the crowd now, the fans that were following Jesus because they loved the food, they loved the miracles, they loved Jesus. The fans now no longer followed him. They turned back. I like to say it this way, that they unfollowed him. In other words, they hit the unfollow button. Jesus, it's been great. We, we, we've loved all the miracles. We love the healings. We love the excitement of the crowd. We love the thought of you. You're such a good teacher. You're, you're such a good man. We love the thought of you becoming our king. Jesus, we've loved it all. But this stuff you're talking about, we just can't go there. That's too strange. We're, we're done. We followed you up to now, but now we're going to push the unfollow button. And they, they stopped following. And the 12 disciples are sitting there. They're listening to Jesus. They're watching the crowd. They're listening to Jesus. They're watching the crowd. Listening, watching. And they begin to think, I believe they begin to think, maybe too, we should unfollow Jesus. Maybe we just need to play like we're stretching. Oh, oh, it's a long day in a synagogue. And maybe as we're stretching, kind of move behind a column in the synagogue. And when Jesus isn't looking, maybe we should, too, should just slip out. What he's talking about is so strange. Maybe we should go. Because this is getting weird. And if I follow Jesus and things don't go well for Jesus, things may not go well for me now. When he was going to be king, it sounded awesome, but it may not go well for me now. Maybe we should just slip away into the crowd. And then Jesus, who knows the hearts of men, pauses in his teaching, turns his gaze to the twelve, and he looks them eyeball to eyeball, and look what Jesus says. You do not want to leave too, do you? Look straight at him. And he says, you guys, you, you've been with me, but you're not thinking about leaving too, are you? You guys, you're not thinking about unfollowing me too, are you? Now, the 12 disciples know better than to, to lie to Jesus because they, they've already learned that Jesus knows their hearts. A lot of times Jesus would say, ask a question and he would answer and he already knew their thoughts, so he would answer Exactly what they were thinking. He knew what they were thinking. He knew they were thinking about leaving. Now, folks, this is such a relevant thing for you and me. Because regardless of how long you've been following Jesus, a day is going to come when you're going to consider unfollowing Jesus. Regardless of how long you've been walking with him, no matter even what you've seen him do... As the fans and miracles and great teaching, there's going to come a time when you're going to feel like, this is it, I'm done, I'm no longer going to follow Jesus. And those times usually come in times of transition. From middle school to high school, or from high school to college, 
Maybe you've been living on your mom's faith or your pastor's faith. You, you know the truth. You believe the truth. Maybe your youth pastor's faith. You, you know it. You, you believe it. But you're in a transition, maybe from college to your first job or a job in one city to a job in another city. Because suddenly you're surrounded by people who may not be against Jesus, but they just don't care about knowing Jesus. And now you're surrounded by people in school or in your job who don't believe what you believe. And in those times of transition, you're going to be tempted to go along with the crowd and push the unfollow button and leave Jesus. And you're not going to be tempted to unfollow because you don't believe any longer. No, that's rarely the case. Very few people stop following to Jesus because they no longer believe. That's rare. People quit following because it gets too hard. Or it's inconvenient. Or it messes with the lifestyle that they want to live. Or because it leaves them standing all alone when the crowd's going here, but you don't feel like you can go there. But the primary reason people stop following Jesus is because it just doesn't seem to matter as much in the situation now where they're working, where they're studying, where they're living. It used to matter a lot when I was living home with my parents and going to church. It all seemed to matter. But now as a freshman in college, it doesn't seem to matter. It mattered at home, but in my dorm, in my classes, nobody cares. It just doesn't seem to matter. And we are tempted to unfollow during location transitions. Whether it's moving from home to school to the new job or to a new city. But listen, we're also tempted to unfollow during relational transitions. Where our Christian beliefs and our lifestyles are just kind of getting in the way. It's, it's kind of when a girl says about a guy, but he's so cute. No, I know he's not a Christian. I know he doesn't believe in God, but he's so cute. Come on, women, say with me, cute. Cute. Yeah, you've all said it. He looks so awesome. He's so cute. And then suddenly following Jesus and living according to your beliefs and God's standards are getting in the way of your relationship. And you're tempted to unfollow Jesus. And then it's when the, it's like the guy says, but she's so, she's just so, she's got so much so. <laughs> she's just so awesome, but she doesn't know Jesus. And then you realize that if you keep up with Jesus, which she wants to have nothing to do with, she's leaving you. And suddenly following Jesus becomes costly. And it's not like you've stopped believing. It's not like you've decided the Bible isn't true. It's just so difficult. It's so hard and costly to follow Jesus. And so you decide to unfollow Jesus, that you're going to step away from following him. And then third, we're tempted to unfollow Jesus during physical and financial hardships. You get hit with a health issue, and you pray and pray and pray. You, you lose a job, and you hit a financial thing, and you pray and pray and pray, and it just seems like God doesn't show up. That God doesn't help you. He, he doesn't do anything about your situation. And you're tempted to just say, okay, God, I'm done. 
I'm going to unfollow you. So Jesus knew what his disciples were thinking. He said, you're not thinking about leaving me too. Are you? And you know what? Jesus knows what you and I are thinking. The Bible says he knows the hearts of every one of us. And so he's saying to you this morning, you're not thinking about leaving too, are you? And I happen to believe that maybe some of you are are right in that spot. You've been trying to do the God thing, been trying to do the church thing, been trying to, to follow Jesus, but something isn't working right. And maybe you're thinking this morning about leaving him too. You know, one of the times of greatest challenge for me in following the call of Jesus was not when God called me to someday start a church. The thought of that was exciting to me. But the challenge came when I was asked to come to Yorba Linda and plant this church. Because to do that very thing meant my family would have to go through all kinds of hard transitions. Financially, we would have to move from a guaranteed salary in a strong church to hoping that this new church that we would try to start would be successful. And from the very first Sunday on, we'd be able to pay our staff. We'd be able to pay our $8,357,000 lease that was scaring me to death. We would have to be able to, to pay the costs of ministry and all of the utilities. And if we couldn't, From day one, the mother church that helped us get to the point where we could open our doors was done. And if we couldn't do that, my family would be homeless and I would be jobless. I knew that within six months, my family would be on the street. Relationally, we would have to move away from all the people that we'd worked with so closely. And all the people that we had reached as the church grew from 80 to 300 people. And we would have to move away from the place and the people that had supported us as we had two of our three children right there in that 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 city, in that church. And, and Shirley was thinking, me and these other ladies, we've been having all of our babies together. Women, you understand this, right? And they, they had all these connections, having and raising our new babies together. And so relationally, we were talking about moving away from everybody that we'd worked so hard with to grow the church, all the new Christians that we had reached, and all the people and friends that we'd established. And then physically and emotionally, I was was burned out. I had worked so hard in that place. It was my very first senior pastor position. And I was the youngest pastor that they had ever hired. I was 30 years old, my first senior pastor And they let me know, you're the youngest guy we've ever hired. And we're kind of nervous about this. And so I set out, I wanted to prove that I had the stuff to lead that church. And so trying to cover all the bases, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good father to my my three young kids, trying to be an awesome pastor, I didn't set good boundaries. And I was working around the clock, and I burned out physically, I burned out emotionally. I was having constant panic attacks. It was hard enough just to walk up and talk to anybody, let alone and get up and preach two messages. It was only by the grace and the supernatural touch of God that I was able to do that stuff. And then in the midst of all of that, I lost 50% of my hearing in this ear. And people were thinking I was being a snob because they'd say something to me and I, I never heard them and I'd just walk away from them. And I had to have surgery and have my hearing restored. 
So all of that stuff was going on. So physically and emotionally, I was an absolute wreck. And then vocationally, I was now being asked to come to Yorba Linda with all of that stuff going on and start a new church. And the Lord clearly, clearly let me know that he wanted me to come out here and start this church. And that is when I was tempted for the first time in my life to unfollow the call of Jesus. It was so much safer, so much more comfortable to just stay where we were. In every sense of the word, my head told me that I personally couldn't do it, that the cost for my family was just too great. My head told me that what Jesus was calling me to do was just too hard. But in our hearts, Shirley and I decided to keep following Jesus in the midst of financial uncertainty, in the midst of relational loss and physical and emotional weakness. But now here we are 24 years later. And Shirley and I can both say that following Jesus and starting this church has been both the hardest thing, amen, (laughs) the hardest thing we have ever done, and yet the most rewarding thing we have ever done in our lives. The rewards far outweigh the costs. And yes, at times the costs were great. At times the costs were, were, were more than we thought we could bear. But I am so glad that Shirley and I, as we looked at the cost of following Jesus, that we didn't step back and hit the unfollow button. I am so glad that we stayed the course and and walked with Jesus because today hundreds have a relationship with Jesus and hundreds have a home in heaven in their future because we decided to follow him. And all of God's church said, amen. Oh, amen. Now, I share all of that because at some point in your life, you're going to be tempted to unfollow him. Jesus is going to ask you to do something. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be costly. It's going to be seeming like it's just too much. And when that moment comes, you're going to be tempted to hit that unfollow button. And you're going to be tempted to step back and run. And not be a follower. Still a fan. You love his teachings. You you love everything about him. You love the church. You love the people. You love the family. But you're going to step back and be tempted and not follow him. See, I happen to believe that this church is filled with future pastors, future youth leaders, future children's pastors, future missionaries. And God's going to call some of you to do that. Maybe even midlife, he's going to call you to leave your career. And do something for him that you never thought was possible. And there's going to come a time when you're going to want to step back and follow something else. You see, we're no different than the 12 disciples. Every one of them had a moment when the cost of following Jesus just looked too great. And they had to decide to follow or to unfollow. And man, those guys were closer to Jesus than anybody else. And even they were wondering, is the cost too great to continue to follow from this point on? So in this story that's unfolding right here in the synagogue, there comes this pregnant pause where Jesus stops teaching. He turns and he looks at the twelve. And he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? 
And it's in this awkward moment of silence. I'm sure the disciples are saying, how do we respond? I'm sure it's in this awkward moment they were thinking about dropping their heads in shame and saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we kind of do want to leave. But in that moment of silence, Peter speaks up. And you know Peter. (laughs) Peter's usually the one who says the wrong thing at the wrong time. But this time, Peter speaks up and he says something that's absolutely brilliant. In fact, he asks a brilliant question of Jesus. And this is the question that I hope as you leave today sticks in your heart. So the next time that you're tempted or you're in a transition and you're tempted to not follow Jesus or you're tempted to sin and you don't want to say no because the pleasure looks great. This is the question. I want you to ask yourself. Jesus says to his guys, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him. Here's the question. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, So Jesus, to whom else would we go? You see, I think Peter recognized something that a lot of us don't recognize. And it's this. If you choose to not follow Jesus, if you choose to unfollow Jesus, you're going to follow someone else or something else. So Peter asked the question, Jesus, if it's not you, who? If it's not this thing of Christianity, if it's not following the Messiah, the Christ who's come, then what? If not you, who? If, if not this, what? You see, Peter recognized that if he backed away from Jesus, he was backing into someone or into something else. Either following himself or following the world. He realized that if he said no to Jesus, he was really saying no and saying yes to someone else or something else. So Peter was saying, Lord, we've looked at the options. We've looked at the cost. We don't know how things are going to turn out. And and, and this thing that you're talking about scares us to death. You dying and us eating your flesh and drinking your blood. God, that's beyond us. But we will follow you. Because if we don't follow you, to whom shall we go? So here's the deal. Before you ever decide to unfollow Jesus because the cost looks too great, the challenge looks too big, whatever, you need to think about this question. Want to stop following Jesus? Okay. Then ask yourself, but to whom will I go? Before you walk away, consider, who else has the words of life? To whom else can I go? I just came back from Thailand and I drove by a bunch of beautiful, ornate temples with a big, fat, gold Buddha setting inside. You going to go to Buddha? Say, Buddha, give me the words of life. How do I get to heaven? To whom else can you go? So Peter's saying nobody else has these words of how to be a part of something eternal with God. Jesus, only only you have those words. So leave you to follow who? 
Who else can you go to who has proven to be the Holy One of God sent to earth? Who else can you go to who's proven to be the Savior of the world? Not only as scholars have researched and found the Word of God to be true, not only because of archaeological digs that are proving God to be true, but where else can you go where you have millions upon millions of people who've experienced the love and grace and cleansing of Jesus Christ who says, He walks with me and He talks with me and I know that God is real. Who else can you go to where the witness is is like that? And what is better than following the Savior of the world? Do you really think there's there's something so satisfying in life that you'll one day look back and say, I am so glad that I stopped following Jesus to get that stuff that I wanted. You really think there's anything so satisfying in life that you're one day going to say, I'm so glad I stopped following Jesus to get her. Have you seen her? Well, fast forward about 25 years. (laughs) First crowd almost ran me out for saying that. But the Bible's clear. Beauty fades. Beauty fades. So are you going to really... Leave Jesus for something or someone? What is better than following the Savior of the world? And the answer is nothing. So the ultimate question I want to close with is this. If you choose to unfollow Jesus, to whom will you go? This is the question that will hold you steady in times of transition, in times of temptation. This is the question that will help you make the right decision in times of great challenge. This is the question that will help you avoid turning back when the cost of following gets really, really great. So before you ever make a move to unfollow Jesus, you owe it to yourself to sincerely answer that question. If not Jesus, to whom? Will I go? If not Jesus, who? If not Christianity, who? Who can tell me how to get to heaven? Who can tell me how to live eternally? If not Jesus, who? Would you repeat after me? To whom will I go? Let's do it again. To whom will I go? One more time. To whom will I go? That's the question. That's the question. So here's the deal. You're going to face all kinds of temptations and transitions. And when they come, don't make a move to unfollow until you've really pondered that question. Ask yourself this question, maybe even day by day. If I don't really follow Jesus, to whom will I go? Folks, you know by now, we're not talking about just being a fan of the great teacher, the man of great stature and wisdom, the miracle worker. We're talking about following Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who came to earth to die on a cross to pay for our sins that we might live with holy God forever and ever. Are you willing to follow him? And if not, to whom else will you go? 
Folks, it's time for us as a church to not be just fans, but to be followers. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. To follow his teachings, to follow his word, to follow his lifestyle. Let's follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? And I know that many of you in this room have prayed to receive Christ in your heart and he is your savior. But we're really talking about full submission and full lordship. So as I pray this prayer, would you consider repeating it in your heart and moving today to a place where you drive a stake in the ground and say right here at the end of this series, I commit to be a follower, not just a fan. So I pray would you repeat it in your hearts. Lord Jesus, I do confess that at times I've been more of a fan than a follower. But today as we end this series, I commit to follow you. And I commit to never leave you. Fathers, we pray this prayer. You know our humanness. You know our weakness. But God, as individuals and as a church, as we close out this series and move on to another, God, we are committing to be a church that follows you. Lord, the world's going to go all kinds of directions, but God, we're going to put the word in our heart. We're going to know and understand your teachings. We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you into eternity. So, Lord, that's our commitment today. It's in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.